Hey, just wanted to remind you that there is now another way you can listen to my stories. I have created a revolutionary new app called Chilling, and you can now try it for free for three days. There are hundreds of stories to listen to, multiple narrators, including myself, multiple genres of scary stories, and the revolutionary first-of-its-kind ambient sound menu. You can switch and adjust the ambient sounds you're listening to without affecting the story. For example, the rain you hear in the background on this podcast, well, you can switch it to a campfire or an eerie soundscape anytime you want without affecting the story you're listening to. You can also adjust the volume of the ambient sound, like rain or campfire, also without affecting the volume of the story. And the ambient sound will not stop between stories. It is absolutely game-changing, and you have to check it out. And it's only $2.99 a month. It's available now on iPhone and Android. Just search Chilling in your app store. Or just click the link in the description below to download and start your free trial now. Winter of 2013 in Phoenix, Arizona. I worked in the shipping department of a small warehouse facility. I am a stocky male, so the company tasked me with boxing products and loading pallets for shipping early in the morning. I was the first to arrive most days at 4.30 a.m., and I was alone most of the time until 6 a.m. Because of this, I had to unlock the entrance and deactivate the security alarm. There were security cameras, but they had had major blind spots caused by some concrete pillars. For the desert, it was a chilly mid-December morning. I arrived to work as usual, around 4.30 a.m. The ground was wet from a light rain scenting the air with mud. I parked and turned off my car, and noticed something. In the distance, there appeared to be a man pacing back and forth. He would walk about 10 feet, turn around, and then walk right back. I would guess he was roughly 40 yards away from me. There was very little light, so I couldn't make out any distinguishing features apart from him wearing a heavy white down jacket. There is a gas station not too far away, so I figured he was just another customer. After a few moments, I reasoned he was either on his cell phone or listening to music, so I got out of my car and headed to the entrance to work. As I approached the door, I heard heavy, sprinting footsteps closing in on me fast. I turned around to look. It was the same person I saw pacing. I must have startled him as he abruptly stopped. He acted as if he didn't think I would turn around. He was about my height, maybe 180 pounds, wearing dark jeans and gray gloves with weathered and dirty white shoes. Now, this sounds impossible, but this is what I saw, and I assure you, it's accurate. His white down jacket was pulled all the way up over his head. Let me be clear. His thick jacket was pulled up over his head, covering his entire face. I don't know how he could see anything when he was sprinting to me. Even with his jacket blocking his face, I could feel his eyes were somehow locked onto me. To this day, I still ask myself how this guy was able to do this. We faced off at each other like we were in a standoff. But there was something more. Something that still remains in my mind and still causes a haunting feeling in me, even today. His breathing. His breathing was so angry and full of rage, like he was getting ready to charge me. This odd, 
covered from head to toe, threatening guy, was standing ten feet from me, breathing like he hated me and wanted me dead. I stood there thinking, This is it. I am going to get robbed, shot, or stabbed. He's going to pull out a weapon. As soon as I thought this, he suddenly reached into his jacket and I felt my stomach churn. I could not get to safety at this point. He was between me and my car, and he could reach me before I could unlock the door and get inside. I was unarmed. I had a moment where I thought this was the end of my life, and felt for the first time what it was like to think you're going to die. I fully expected him to pull out a weapon from his coat and attack me. But rather, he spoke, muffled through his jacket. What are you doing? Adrenaline had frozen me in place, but I responded standing my ground. I'm just going to work. What are you doing? He answered back swiftly. I'm just checking this out. Then he took his hands out of his pockets, turned, and began running away with his jacket still up over his head. I got inside and locked the door behind me, feeling relieved. I don't know what became of him, and to this day... I still wonder how he was able to see me with that thick jacket over his face, and the sound of his angry breathing remains a fearful memory. Now, I thought of calling the police. However, after the shock of the incident wore off, I reasoned the guy didn't really do anything to me. He didn't actually threaten me, show a weapon, say something intimidating, or anything like that. Sure, he was unsettling but he really didn't commit a crime other than being intimidating and suspicious. Even if I did call the police, I imagined the incident would be low priority and the guy would be long gone by the time the police investigated. I put the ordeal out of my mind and did my work. Later that day, I shared the story with some of my co-workers. Many believed the guy was going to rob me, but then changed his mind. Some thought the guy was on something and just acting weird. The security camera footage only caught a small portion of the incident due to the blind spots. I'm not sure what to think. So, I would like to ask you, what do you think this guy was up to? Do you think he was going to rob me? Was he just on something? Do you think he was crazy? But harmless? I went to a party one night and was told by my mother to be home at a certain time or the door would be locked, and we didn't have an extra key. So off to the party I went, and it was a banger, drinks and lots of friends. I didn't want to leave. By the time I left it was 1 or 2 a.m., and I knew I was going to be locked out of my mom's house, and she was going to be upset in the morning if I woke her up. So I pulled around back where I parked my car. I got out and checked the back door. Crap. Locked. I staggered around to the front. Crap. Locked. Now I'm screwed, and gonna have to spend the night in my car. So I laid the seat back, grabbed an old sweater out of the back to cover up with, and sighed. Being locked out sucks. During the night, I woke up hearing footsteps. So I poked my head up and looked around. I didn't see anything at first, so I laid back down, but I couldn't shake the feeling that something was up. 
and was too afraid to get out of the car. I reached over and locked my doors and heard the footsteps again, poked my head up and again, froze. There was a shadowy figure creeping around my house. I watched as he walked around looking into the windows and checking to see if he could open them. I had no cell phone and no way to warn my mom, who was inside, asleep. My heart was jackhammering in my chest as I thought of what to do. I sat up a little higher to watch as he walked around the front of my house, going to the front door. I leaned forward, following his progress, and bumped my steering wheel, and a very loud honk sounded, scaring the heck out of me. It must have woke up my mom because the porch light came on, and she stood on the porch looking furious. So I ran up to her screaming to get back into the house, that there was a man outside trying to get in. As soon as we got back inside, I ran into my mom's room and grabbed her weapon and a flashlight, instructing her to call the cops. I went back outside, weapon and flashlight in hand. The man was nowhere to be found. We waited for the cops to show up, and when they did, they told us there had been a couple guys from a jail nearby that had escaped that day, and that they had been looking for them, and for us to keep our doors locked tight. They never found the man I saw that night, but the escapees were caught weeks later a hundred miles away. I am so thankful my mom locked me out of the house that night. I can't imagine what would have happened if we both had been inside and asleep. One summer in the late 90s, when I was about 11 or 12, my dad took my little brother and I on vacation to Northern California. We decided to spend a day at the Santa Cruz boardwalk. I sat alone on our blanket on the sand while my dad and brother played in the ocean not too far away. A man walking by himself on the beach crept up and squatted beside me so that he sat eye level with me. He was probably early to mid-20s had black spiky hair and all black clothing. He held a lit cigarette in the hand closest to me and wore a mischievous smirk on his face. He smiled and quietly said, Hi, I'm Shadow. What's your name? I replied, Hi, um, Catherine. What a beautiful name. Do you know how pretty you are? I shook my head as he looked me up and down. Are you here all by yourself? No, I'm here with my dad and my brother. They're right there. I pointed. Oh, well, do you want to go for a walk? The way he overpronounced the K in walk gave me chills, even though it was hot and sunny out. This is when a light bulb went off in my head. I should not be talking to this guy. I didn't know how to tell him to leave me alone, and I was honestly kind of scared to be rude to him. Within a split second, so many thoughts went racing through my head. Was he going to pick me up and carry me away? Would my dad turn around to check on me, only to find an empty blanket and no trace of which direction I had gone? I was panicking internally, and I just sat there, paralyzed and silent. I looked towards the water to find my dad with his mouth agape 
and a look of horror on his face. Rage overtook him. He picked up my brother and stormed towards us, my brother now crying. My dad yelled at the man to get away from me as he violently ran closer to us. Thank goodness, Shadow took him seriously. By the time my dad reached me, Shadow had already fled down the beach. After arriving home the following week, my dad was catching up on the previous week's newspapers. He made it a point to show me the article, and I will never, ever forget it. The article reported that the body of a young girl was found near the Santa Cruz boardwalk. Allegedly, she had been abducted, assaulted, and murdered, and left behind a dumpster. Fortunately, they caught the person that did it. Unfortunately, there was no picture or detailed description of the perp. They only described him as a local man in his 20s. I won't ever know for sure if it was Shadow that committed the horrendous crime against an innocent little girl. I can only be thankful that it wasn't me. When I was about 10 or 11, I shared a room with my two older sisters. Now we would stay up late at night talking, sometimes getting us into trouble. But this one particular night, we had our window open ajar and the blinds open. Meaning anyone on the outside could see in, because we also had a lamp in our bedroom. As we were laying in bed talking, there was a knock on the window. None of us could move or speak. We didn't know what to do so we ignored it. Five minutes went by, and nothing else happened, so we continued our conversation when... Knock, knock, knock. This time, we all ran out of our bedroom and went straight to our parents' room where we told them what was going on. First, we woke up our mom, because she's a light sleeper anyway. Then she woke up our dad. My dad, being the brave guy he is, went outside with a bat while my mom went into our room with us. When my dad came back inside, he told us there was no one out there. Reassuring us it's okay to go back to sleep, we did. Ten minutes go by when another knock woke us all up, including our mom. She jumped out of bed, went into her room, woke up our dad, and I remember I heard her say, Call the police. As the police arrived, they looked around the house and found nothing. Now I thought that was the end of it, but as I got older, I asked my mom about it. That's when I learned something very disturbing. The police found footprints underneath our window, in the garden. Also, they found a chair from our porch below our window. Meaning, whoever was out there that night must have been watching us for who knows how long. All I have to say is, close your blinds at night, and always close your window. You never know who may be watching. This happened to me when I was around the age of six. I was watching late-night cartoons on the TV, as I did every night before bed, and my parents were having company over, as this was very common for them around this time. I don't remember falling asleep, but I remember waking up in my room 
and the TV was off, and the only light coming into my room was from the moonlight peering through my window. My room is almost completely black. I couldn't move at all, and I felt like I couldn't breathe. Not a feeling of something on my chest, but rather my throat was closed up so tight, I could barely get a breath of air. I knew something was wrong, so I tried to call out to my parents, but I was unable to speak. I sat there for probably five minutes, scared out of my mind. I heard my parents conversing loudly with their friends in the other room, and I thought to myself that they'll never hear me. I stared at my door, hoping my parents would come in and save me from whatever was happening. After about ten minutes, my door cracked open a little bit, and slowly crept open a few inches. There was a tall figure staring at me through the crack of my door. I couldn't make out anything other than they were really tall and had a blank stare in their eyes. The figure in the doorway backed away, and after another few minutes of trying to cry for help, my mom came in and turned the lights on. I still couldn't move or talk. My mom grabbed my dad, told him there's something wrong with me, and I need to go to the hospital. They loaded me up in the backseat of the family van and drove off frantically. The only thing I remember about being taken to the hospital is seeing the streetlights coming in and out of the window as we drove down the street. Then, I lost consciousness. When I woke up, I was in a hospital bed surrounded by nurses. I had an oxygen mask on my face, and I was hooked up to the IV. I could almost talk again, and I tried to say the words, What's happening to me? But before I could say anything, the nurse said, Don't worry, you're going to be fine. And I fell back asleep. I woke up again, seeing my parents happy, standing next to the bed, and the nurses were saying that I would be ready to leave shortly. Then, the nurse took off my mask and gave me this peach juice that I'll always remember. My dad carried me on his back and put me back into the van, and we went home. I woke up in bed the next day and felt really weird, but was relieved everything was okay. I didn't talk to my parents about it too much, because every time I tried to bring it up, they wouldn't talk about it, and they would just change the subject. I kind of forgot about it for a long time, but would still think about it when people would ask me, what's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? Years later when I was in my teens, I brought it up, laughing, saying, remember the time you guys had to take me to the hospital? They just stared at me with a confused look on their faces. So I described the whole event in detail, and they looked at me like I was on something, and said that I must have dreamt it. So I gave up trying to get them to remember, and went back to my bedroom, confused. I wholeheartedly believe that this was not a dream. It was so vivid and real, and I remember almost everything about it. The man in the doorway, the oxygen masks, the juice the nurse gave me, and the absolute helplessness of not being able to move or speak. The weirdest thing is I was never taken to the hospital before and had never seen someone hooked up to an IV before. So how could I have dreamt that? When I was 22, I moved into a rental home in Harvey's Lake, Pennsylvania. 
It was very small and somewhat run down. It reminded me of a cabin that you see on fishing trips. Honestly, I hated it, but could not afford anything better at the time. The basement was creepy. The bathroom ceiling sloped downwards so that the shower head was aimed at my chest, and I could not stand to pee without my head touching the ceiling. The floor also sloped, but hey, it was cheap with all utilities provided. Shortly after I had moved in, I had a dream one night. I dreamt in the third person, and at first, I assumed that what I was seeing was from my point of view. It was like I was floating towards my front door in the middle of a full moon lit night. Once I got to the front door, a thin, pale hand turned the knob and slowly opened it. It wasn't my hand, so now I knew that I was seeing the vision of someone else. Slowly, I started walking towards my bedroom, which was the first room on the right immediately after the small kitchen, and I could see myself sleeping in my bed. My vision then slowly glided into my room, and to the side of my bed, by a window, and I was looking down at myself sleeping on my stomach. After a second, the thin, pale hand reached down to grab me. Seeing myself about to be attacked, I violently woke from the dream and lashed out towards where the figure was standing, knocking things off the nightstand next to me. But there was no one there. Although I told myself that it was just a dream, I thought it was incredibly weird that there was no difference in the amount of darkness in my room. It was apparently a full moon, visible right outside my window, and that made the room more blue and brighter than usual. It was exactly the same as in my dream. Most nights, it is very dark in my room. A week or so later, I had friends over. There was an old bar down the road that we could quickly walk to, so we got a little drunk and walked back to my place. We were watching a movie to pass the time so that my friends could sober up to drive home. But after a while, they all decided to just stay over. As we were watching the end of a movie, my friend's girlfriend woke up looking alarmed, like she was having a nightmare, and was about to yell. We all looked at her, and she looked relieved to be awake. But she kept saying to her boyfriend, who was my best friend, Come on, let's go. I want to go. I really don't want to be here. After a minute of him telling her that they could not drive, she calmed down and reluctantly agreed to stay. Nothing else happened, and in the morning, they all got up and drove home. She called me as soon as she got home to apologize. She was afraid that I got offended that she did not want to stay in my home, and I just laughed and told her that it was fine. No big deal. She then proceeded to tell me why she wanted to leave so bad. She said she fell asleep and had a dream that some pale, evil-looking lady who resembled a demonic witch dressed in black, grabbed her in the apartment and was dragging her away across the floor. It was very violent, apparently, but she woke up in the middle of the nightmare. She said it was the scariest thing she ever experienced. I thought she was joking with me until I realized that I told no one of my similar dream. I then told her about my dream, and she freaked out and spent days doing research into the area and the home, 
thinking that something bad must have happened there, but found nothing. She never came over again after that, but it didn't matter. I was out of there within a few months, and the house was torn down about ten years later. This is not my story, but my dad's. He gave me permission to share it. When my dad was around the age of 10, he had a somewhat creepy experience that to this day keeps him from leaving windows open in the night. His mother worked at a mental health facility and they actually lived just down the road from said facility. His mother was head cook in a large kitchen there. All the patients adored her as she had worked there a very long time. My dad and his younger brother shared a room together. They had two twin beds that sat on either side of a large window that was right smack dab between their beds. Things were different back then. It was perfectly safe to sleep with your windows wide open when it was hot outside. One hot summer late night, my dad awoke to someone touching his face when he realized that what he was feeling was an adult hand. He opened his eyes to a woman caressing his face while lightly singing. He leaped out of bed and stood there staring at her. She wore a white dress and she did nothing but stand right at their window with a smile on her face. Leaving his sleeping brother, my dad ran from the room to his parents' bedroom to get help. All three of them rushed into the room to find the woman attempting to crawl inside his mom screamed a woman's name, shocking them all, then said, She is a patient from my work. She wasn't wearing a dress like my dad had initially thought. It was actually a hospital gown. The hospital was quickly called. Searchers had been looking for her for a short time already. She had gotten out somehow and had wandered down to their home, since it was a short distance away. My dad is in his 60s now, and he still checks the windows nightly to make sure they are shut and locked. This is a true story that happened in 2014. I am a female junior high school teacher in a province in the Philippines. The school where I teach is one of the first private schools in that province to install CCTVs in all classrooms for the safety of students, teachers, and all staff. Three months previously, I had what I can only assume is a paranormal experience while teaching in one of the third floor classrooms, but when I checked the CCTV footage in the admin office, the feed for my classroom malfunctioned. The security officer back then found it really strange too because every single feed in the building was working properly, except for the room where I was at, and at the exact period where this strange occurrence happened. Long story short, I saw and interacted with a student who turned out not to be there on that day, and I didn't even have CCTV footage to prove it. Ever since then, I was on the lookout for more strange encounters in the classrooms. Remember, this school was in a province, and the people who were born and raised there have a lot of stories to tell of unexplainable circumstances that can only be described as paranormal. 
But the months passed without incident, and I started to forget what happened. Until one day, I was in my 10th grade class at this time, in room 405. The second quarterly exams were just finished last week, and I wanted to spend this period showing my students their progress. One, so that I can congratulate and give credits to students who did well, and two, so that I can talk to students who are falling behind. I have their grades in an Excel file on my laptop, but grades are private documents, so I arranged my Excel sheet, zoomed it in, and froze some of the cells, so that only one student's grades will be shown at a time. I then placed my laptop on the high table situated at the front and right side of the classroom, my laptop facing me, of course, away from the student's eyes. I then asked my students to form a line in front of me so that I can show them their grades one by one. The rest of the students can just chill or review for their next class while waiting for their turn. And so it started. After the first student is done, I tell the next student in line to wait for a few seconds. While I adjust the Excel sheet, my hand raised in the air in a stop gesture. This is to avoid students seeing the grades of those before them. Then, when the Excel file is ready, I tell them to approach. Remember, I made it so that only one grade is visible at a time. Some students were pumping their fists in the air, or high-fiving me, or hugging each other when they see how well they did. Others were sighing sadly, asking me for ways to make up for it, or laughing at how bad they did. Each interaction with a student lasted for about five seconds to a minute some students taking longer if they needed assurance that they can do better next time. I was dreading showing one of my students her grade. Let's call her Anna. Admittedly, she was the noisiest girl in class, but in the first quarter, she was one of my brightest students. For the second quarter, she lost interest in the subject, oftentimes chatting with her seatmate, turning in assignments late, and performing poorly overall. Her grade for this quarter went down by three points, and I was preparing myself mentally to comfort her when it was her turn. She was coming up next in line, right behind her friend, who we will call Jane. Please remember that in the line, Jane was standing before Anna. This will be important later. After I showed Jane her grade, I took a deep breath and faced Anna. I motioned for her to come forward. She was silent expressionless. She looked at the screen for a few seconds, then turned away and went back to her seat without saying anything. I was confused because Anna was not the silent type. I shrugged it off and just went on showing my students their grades, one by one. A little bit further down the line, I can hear some students chatting and laughing away, and as the line inched forward, I noticed that these happy, loud students included Anna she was next in line again. I was quite relieved to see that she was in a better mood, but I was confused why she was in line again. I asked her, you wanted to see your grades again? Anna said, huh, again? I haven't seen my grades yet. Once again, I shrugged it off and showed her her grade. This time she reacted. She gasped, covered her mouth and whined. Oh, my grades went down. What am I going to do? In that funny, drama queen way that we're all so familiar with, her friends laughed and teased her good-naturedly, and they went on their way. At that moment, I had a strange feeling. 
Who was the first Anna who checked her grade? Was she telling the truth when she told me she had been in line only once? When that period ended, I could not wait to check the CCTV footage. I wanted real tangible proof that Anna was in that line twice. Immediately after class, I marched down to the admin office and asked if I could see the CCTV footage of room 405. I will try to explain what I saw in the best way I can. In the monitor where I can see the footage for room 405, I could see myself standing in the upper right-hand corner with that line of students starting from that point to the lower right-hand corner. It was grainy, but I could clearly see myself clicking on my laptop, gesturing for the next students in line to wait, then telling them to come closer, so on and so forth. I could even see the facial expressions on my face and my students. Now, before I tell you what I saw next, I would just like to ask you to think back to when you last lined up in a queue. There's this automatic response in everyone, that if the person ahead of you moves forward, you move forward as well, and that the distance between each person in line is somewhat equal. You just don't leave an empty space in front of you when you're in line. Back to the CCTV footage. A few minutes later, at the bottom of the screen, I could see Jane falling in line, talking to some people in front of her. I waited with bated breath to see Anna in the footage. As the line inched forward, Jane did too. Any moment now, I expect to see Anna at the bottom of the screen. But... Anna was not there. The line inched forward again. Jane stepped forward. Still no Anna. I can clearly see another student step behind Jane, but for some reason, she stayed about three to four feet behind Jane. You know, a space large enough to fit another person in the line. But there was no one in that empty space. As the line continues to move forward, I notice that the people behind Jane maintained their distance. That empty space behind her remained constant. This seemed really weird to me, because the people behind Jane are looking forward talking to Jane, and that she sometimes looks back to them, talking, laughing, but never occupying that space. This is really weird because you just don't leave an empty space in front of you when you're in a line, right? Finally, it's Jane's turn to approach me in that upper right corner in the footage. The space behind her still remained empty. When Jane left, I saw myself look at my laptop with the light from the monitor shining on my face, and then I saw myself in the video completely freeze up. None of the students behind Jane were approaching me. They can clearly see me. That was apparent in the footage. They were still moving. Everything was still moving, except for me in the video. I asked the security officer to zoom in on my face. Me in the video was completely still. I was not even blinking. I don't think I was even breathing. After 10 seconds, me and the video started moving again. And that's when the next student in line finally occupied that empty space. The officer and I looked at each other, weirded out. What happened there? Did you have a stroke or something? He jokingly asked. Then, seeing my expression, asked me, What's wrong? So he paused the video and listened as I told him what happened earlier. After listening to my story, he said, 
Nothing left to do but check if the second Anna was real. I nodded, and so we continued watching the footage. I kept my eyes focused on the bottom right. I asked the officer to forward the footage a bit until I could see Anna at the bottom of the line. This time, I could clearly see Anna chatting with her friends in line, being her usual self. When she finally reached me at the top, I can see our interaction the way I remembered it earlier. Me smiling, her covering her mouth, her friends laughing at her. Exactly as I remembered it. I asked the officer to stop the video and thanked him for his time. The officer gave me a kind of look and told me to take it easy. My mind was racing. Did I really see Anna twice in the classroom? Did I just hallucinate the first Anna that approached me? It's possible, maybe. I'm pretty sure there's a scientific or neurological explanation for stuff like that, but I have never experienced that before. I mean, if I randomly freeze during the day, surely my students and my co-teachers will have noticed it by now. I was ready to accept that the first Anna, the silent Anna, the expressionless Anna, was my imagination. But then, if there really was no one in line after Jane, why didn't the student after her approach me after I was done talking to Jane? It's apparent in the footage that they can see me. For the ten seconds that I was not moving, the students next in line could see me. If I did really freeze up, surely one of the students will approach if not to see her grade, then to ask me if I was okay. And also, why was there an empty space behind Jane, an empty space that the students behind her never stepped into? Could they have possibly seen someone in the line behind Jane? Could they perhaps, like me, saw this silent girl approach me, a silent girl who looked just like Anna, but was not Anna? This is a story I don't usually tell because I'm not sure if I was overreacting, but it's something that still haunts me to this day. This took place during my freshman year at university, a few years ago. It was around 5am on the day I was supposed to leave to go back home for summer break. I am a huge procrastinator, so I had been up all night packing up my dorm room and doing a ton of laundry. Before I get into what happened, I think it's important to mention that my dorm building was 17 floors high, and I was on the 15th floor. Each floor had its own little laundry room. The laundry room on our floor was all the way across the building from me, because my room was at the very end of the hall in an entire different wing. Since my dorm was at the end of the hall, my room was directly across the exit door leading to the staircase. While I was packing that night into the early morning, I kept hearing the door to the staircase occasionally opening and shutting a few times every hour. It wasn't exactly weird enough for me to be concerned about since the RAs did their rounds every hour or so and it was policy for them to use the staircase to patrol every floor. However, it was weird enough for me to notice the amount of times the door kept opening and closing as that was uncommon and usually the RAs stopped their rounds around 2 a.m but I just brushed it off and figured they were doing extra rounds because it was move-out day. Sometime between 4.30 and 5 a.m., I was standing in my room about to put on a shirt to go switch around my laundry. 
As I was pulling the shirt over my head, my door opened and a man stepped in. He was dressed in all black with a hood over his head and made it difficult to see his face. From what I could tell, he looked like a student. He was young, maybe early twenties or so, and filled my door frame at about six feet tall. I stood in fear and confusion, without a shirt on, and stared at this man with my mouth wide open, in shock. We just stared at each other, not saying a word, for what felt like forever, but was probably only a minute or so. Still, in perspective, it was too long. He had the most blank and lifeless expression I had ever seen. I had no idea who this man was. I was already so tired and stressed from packing, I barely remember finally muttering the words. What the heck? The man quietly mumbled. Sorry. Backed out of the room and slowly shut my door. I stood there in shock for a few seconds before quickly putting on my shirt and grabbing a small pocket knife I had in my desk drawer. I hurried and locked my door before I could even take a breath. My thoughts began racing. Who was that guy? Why did he just walk into my room? Why didn't he seem surprised or shocked that he just walked into a stranger's room? My brain forced rational thought, and I came to the conclusion that he must have accidentally came into my room, and meant to go into my sweet mate's room, who lived next door to me. I told myself it was probably her boyfriend, and maybe he was drunk, and went to the wrong door or something, but he didn't seem drunk. In fact, he didn't seem to have any emotion at all. I felt much better after coming to this conclusion, but I was still reluctant to go out and get my laundry. After a few minutes of hyping myself up and telling myself that it was just an accident, I finally went to get my laundry, making sure the coast was clear first, and making sure to lock my door behind me, just in case. I switched the clothes and dragged my laundry basket quickly down the hall and back to my room. As I stood in front of my door to unlock it, I glanced up, and all of the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I looked up and saw my huge name tag that my RA placed on my door at the beginning of the year. I realized he could not have possibly mistaken my room for someone else's, as my name was written in big black letters on my door. I rushed into my room and locked the door behind me as more questions began to fill my head. I was still really freaked out about what had happened and it replayed in my head over and over again. Time had passed, and it was around 6 a.m. at this point. I could still hear the staircase door being opened and closed periodically, but thought nothing of it at the time. I continued to pack my clothes while being overly aware of my surroundings, which probably made the next part of this even more horrifying for me. It's like that feeling when you're waiting for something really scary to happen, or you're trying to scare yourself, and you have this huge pit in your stomach, and you're constantly on edge, but nothing happens. Except, something did happen. My doorknob began to violently turn. It was constant and forceful, like somebody knew they wanted to get in here, even though the door was locked. I grabbed my knife and stood in the middle of my room, facing the door telling myself that I might actually have to stab this guy. After about an entire minute of him trying to open my door, he left. I knew something was definitely wrong now. I was completely and utterly freaked out. If I had any thought left that this man had accidentally came to the wrong room, 
It was definitely no more. He could not have possibly came to the wrong room. Twice. Especially when my door was labeled with my name, and I had no idea who he was. I picked up my phone and called my mom, who was five hours away, and frantically explained what had happened, and she told me to keep my door locked and that if he came back again, I should call the police. We hung up the phone, and I tried my hardest to stay focused on finishing up my room. Around 6.30, there was frantic knocking at my door. I was horrified and just wished whatever this was would stop. I looked through the peephole and saw a girl who lived across from me at my door. I opened it, and she was hysterical. She was crying and asking me for help. I asked her what was wrong, and what she told me left me speechless. She said that she woke up to a man standing in her room. She explained that she was sleeping and a little tipsy when she woke up from drinking the previous night, and had woken up suddenly to the feeling of being watched. When she realized there was someone standing by her bed, she screamed and he ran out of the room. That's when she got dressed and came to my door. She had no idea how long he had been there for. I told her we needed to call the campus police and reassured her she would not get in trouble for being intoxicated. I called the police for her and we waited together for them to come. When they arrived about 10 minutes later, the officer questioned us about what had happened and I explained the incident that went down only an hour earlier. While I was explaining what the man looked like, my suite mate stepped out of her room and said, Are you talking about a man coming into your room? I told her yes, and asked if she had heard anything. My suite mate told us about an hour ago, she woke up next to a man standing next to her bed, just watching her. After about 30 seconds of him standing there, he spoke. What he said to her will continue to haunt me for the rest of my life. He looked at her blank and dead-eyed and said, That's what you get for sleeping with your door unlocked. And walked out of her room like it was nothing. This happened right after he initially came into my room. I don't think the police ever figured out who it was since I never heard back from them. But there are still questions that rack my brain. Who was that guy? Was he one just walking in and out of their staircase for hours, doing this on multiple floors? What was he doing at five in the morning? How did he get into the dorm in the first place? And the one question that still gives me goosebumps. What would have happened if I didn't lock the door the first time, and he actually got into my room the second time he came back? When I was around 12 years old, I had a pretty creepy experience in my house. To give some backstory, I'm the youngest of three with two sisters. The way my house was laid out is my mom and dad's room was on the one side of the house and me and my sister's rooms were on the other side with the living room in the middle. Now my oldest sister is actually my stepsister, even though I have never thought of her like that. She has always been a true sister to me. During this time, she was going through a lot. She struggled with bipolar disorder and had spent many nights getting into screaming matches with her boyfriends at ungodly hours of the morning. These arguments would almost always end in some sort of violent situation. I remember one specific instance very clearly where my sister was so furious at her boyfriend for watching something 
I'll leave to your imagination, on his phone, right in front of her. She started to beat and scratch his face with a high heel shoe. Anyway, one night something was weird. No guest was in the house, and I knew this when falling asleep. Yet when I heard the screams at two in the morning, I was still unaffected. I imagined that one of my sister's boyfriends had snuck in through the window to see her, and they were now erupting into another fight. But I was wrong. I heard my parents run into my sister's room, bursting through the door. They were silent for a few seconds as my sister continued to scream and scream. I started to realize this was not like the other times. This wasn't an argument with a high school boy. These were wails of true terror. After what seemed like forever, but was really like 15 seconds, my parents started yelling, What? What? Why are you screaming? All I could hear while sitting in my bed was my sister responding, Right there! Right there! How can you not see? How can you ask me that? This went on for a while, and my sister was taken out of her room by my parents, and she stayed in the kitchen drinking tea for the rest of the night. My parents and sister didn't tell me anything that had happened, since in comparison to the drama that has happened in our household previously, this was a pretty peaceful night. Now, it was the next day, and time for bed again. I was having a little trouble falling asleep, because I was still thinking about what my sister was screaming about. Was she seeing things? Sleep paralysis? Was she on something? Was there a ghost in the house? The hallways then proceeded to carry my sister's screams throughout the house again, this time several hours earlier than last night, and even louder. My sister screamed like I have never heard any scream before. The words she said, mixed with the tone of her voice, gives me ice-cold skin-penetrating chills just as I tell this story. My sister was screaming the words, Just kill me fast! Don't hurt me! Just kill me fast! This time my whole family, myself included, ran into her room. This sounded serious. She was screaming in terror and pointing into the corner of her room. But again, there was nothing there. She claimed that a large dark figure with a purple robe and red eyes was standing in the corner of her room, watching her with a sinister presence. I began to get frustrated with my sister. I thought she was doing this for some kind of twisted desire for attention. In a lot of ways, that's what I felt a lot of her dramatic situations were. But on the third night, I would come to believe her. On the third night, we put one of our dogs in my sister's room to keep her company. She was a small pappy-poo, which is a ridiculous name for a mix of papillon and poodle. Her name was Twilight. She was a good dog and always very perceptive. Twilight was always the first to know when someone was approaching our house or even just walking past it. That night, I didn't even bother sleeping, as I knew there was going to be screams to startle me awake anyway. I was just staying up playing Saints Row 3 until I passed out from exhaustion or something. I hadn't been sleeping for the past two nights and was a train wreck at school, but at this point, I didn't really care. And then, right on cue, at around one in the morning, the screams. I was mad that my sister was carrying on with this act, keeping me and my whole family awake. I was the only one who decided to stay awake in my house, and my sister's room is right next to mine, 
So I got up, walked in there fast, getting ready to give my sister a piece of my mind on her attention-seeking behavior. But then, I heard Twilight, not just barking, but howling, like a desperate, urgent howling. I had never heard it before from her, and would never hear it again as long as Twilight lived. I was taken aback by that, but I barged in the room anyway, and there was my sister, screaming in terror, while staring eyes wide open into the corner of the room. And there was Twilight, looking at the exact, and I mean exact, same place my sister was looking. Twilight had her head up looking at the corner of the room, howling. It was such an uncanny image. Two beings reacting in terror and distress at something I could not see. Now I am not a religious person. I was raised to believe that angels and demons exist, but I have no real belief in any kind of spiritual warfare anymore. Then I believe in the QAnon theories of Hollywood celebrities sacrificing babies to the devil, or whatever. But I do believe in my own two eyes, and I still can't explain what they saw. After all this, my sister was brought into therapy after taking my dad's advice, and my mom had the room blessed by the priest from our church. It never happened again. Alright, this is going to sound crazy. I'll admit it, if I heard this and it wasn't my own story, I probably wouldn't believe it happened. But this is 100% true. You'll just have to take my word for it. I was at a friend of a friend's birthday party the summer after our last year of middle school. It was a warm, clear night. I didn't know the birthday girl personally, as again, she was a friend of a friend. The party consisted of a huge game of sardines in her huge backyard. I'll describe the yard more in detail, as it'll assist in painting a better picture in your head as to what I experienced. She lived on what could arguably be described as a small ranch. The backyard consisted of about 40 to 50 yards of lawn, before gradually ascending up a hill where a thick forest started. The hill was untouched land with trees, rocks, and bushes. In the middle of the hill ran a stream, about two or three feet wide. On the left side of the backyard down on the lawn was a barn. A classic red one with a hayloft and everything. Her back patio had cafe lights strung on the border with a fire pit in the corner. These details seem overbearing, but they will all be important later on in the story. I promise. The game of sardines started with two seekers. The rest of the group, around 30 kids, sprinted through the backyard looking for hiding places, while the seekers counted to 60. Four kids and I decided to hide together and deemed that the top of the hill, right along the forest's edge, would be our best bet. We sprinted up the hill dodging rocks and ducking trees, and finally got to the top. We jumped behind the first line of brush, and turned to face the back of the house. Though far away, we could see the seekers running through the backyard. They had begun their search. Keep in mind, with us facing the yard, our backs were turned to the thick, dark forest on the edge of her property. After about five minutes of hiding, Jay, one of my friends I was hiding with, claimed he had heard rustling behind us, coming from the forest. 
We looked back, only to see nothing, and started teasing Jay about being a wuss, or a baby, or whatever. Though I can't remember, I bet we were as scared as he was, just trying to look brave in front of the two girls who had hidden with us. Only a mere thirty seconds or so after the first false alarm, Jay claimed to hear more rustling. Though this time, we all heard it. We looked behind us into the thick, dark, rustling forest, and saw what I can only describe as the most confusing yet horrifying thing I have ever seen. Standing about fifteen yards into the wood line stood a grown man. He seemed to be about six two or six three, though there was a catch. He was wearing a bunny suit, a full-on Easter bunny type bunny suit. It took a second or two for me and my friends to process what we were seeing. And right when we were done processing, he started running towards us. We couldn't believe it. After about a second delay of internally freaking out at the situation at hand, we all started sprinting down the hill. Though not as dense as the forest we were running from, we had to actively dodge and avoid trees and bushes. I was the second farthest from the bunny man, having one of my friends in front of me with Jay, and the two others behind me. After clearing the stream, my nails curled as I heard a scream from behind me. I looked back, only to feel my heart drop. The bunny man had grabbed Jay. He was trying to drag him back up the hill. Miraculously, Jay was able to shake himself free. Jay played football and was the biggest kid in our grade, so he was able to loosen himself free somewhat easily. We sprinted back to the house as fast as we could, screaming as we went. We were yelling for everyone to get back to the house, that there was an immediate threat and that we were in danger. Luckily, the panic in our voices was genuine enough that the rest of the group listened and followed us back into the kitchen. We gathered everyone and counted, making sure we didn't leave anyone outside with whoever was in that horrible costume. Once everything died down, I had only started to catch my breath when I heard the one line that still sticks with me to this day. Someone piped up and timidly asked, Where's Sadie? Sadie was the birthday girl who I didn't know that well. After the question was asked, everyone started desperately looking around the kitchen, living room area, looking for what they knew wasn't there. Sadie was still outside, somewhere. The boys in the group, including myself, decided that we would split up into groups of three or four and go out looking for Sadie. We thought we were tough crap, a group of 18 or so hormonally driven teenagers with something to prove to the girls inside the house. We had to be tough guys who weren't scared of anything. I am not sure the facade worked. My group was assigned to the hill. We searched everywhere, behind trees, between bushes, calling out Sadie's name and flashing our flashlights everywhere we could. After about three minutes of searching, we heard a loud, optimistic, We got her! We found her! We sprinted back down the hill going buck twenty, itching to know where she was and if she was okay. After we all met up in the middle of the backyard, everything became clear after everything died down. This is what happened from Sadie's point of view. Sadie had hidden by herself in the barn. To the left of the main doors was a pile of squared hay. Sadie had hidden behind the pile 
covering herself with loose hay she had found on the floor in order to conceal herself. She said that for the main part, nobody had really gotten close to her hiding place. Why didn't she come out when we yelled at her? She thought it was a decoy to draw herself out of her hiding place. A little shaken, but overall okay. We all walked back to the house to regroup and retell to the girls in the house what had happened. I wish it ended there. About 20 minutes later, when we were all, for the most part, calmed down, we were sitting on the couch talking about everything and anything. At this point, a good amount of the kids had gone home, whether forced by curfew or at their own will due to the fears of the bunny man. So it was down to me, Sadie, and three or four other people. Out of nowhere, Sadie spoke up. You know, now that I think about it, you guys did almost catch me. I would have had no idea, as I was a hider myself. But the two seekers from the game of sardines were still at Sadie's house. They both admitted to her that they did venture into the barn, and that they must have missed her. Sadie then said this, I knew the screaming to go inside was a decoy. Somewhat confused at her statement, we urged her to elaborate. Don't play dumb, she told the seekers. I heard you guys come in about two minutes after I heard the yelling. You guys were looking everywhere for me and actually walked up right next to my hiding spot before walking away, for some reason. That's when you guys almost caught me. It took a minute for us to process what she said, but then it clicked. We were all inside two minutes after we had been yelling, and everyone was accounted for, except for Sadie so nobody would have been outside when Sadie claimed that they would have been. That left one possibility. Sadie wasn't close to being caught by us. Sadie was close to being caught by whoever was in that bunny costume. Whoever that was had walked up right next to her hiding place. If he had moved the loose hay, or even moved one block of tied hay, he would have found her. And heaven knows what would have happened next. But that was all in the past. We were all inside now, safe and behind locked doors. My mom came shortly afterwards to pick me up, and on the drive home, I realized something I hadn't realized before. As I was looking out the window thinking about the events of the night, I realized that I was watching fields and farmland fly by. Sadie's nearest neighbor was two miles away from her house. She lived in a very very rural part of town. It may seem like a small detail that should easily be thrown to the side, but to me, it illustrated a glaring and disturbing circumstance. The bunny man could not have been a neighbor, family friend, or neighborhood teenager looking for entertainment. The closest house to Sadie's was two miles away. This was no teenager trying to scare younger kids or creepy adults on some power trip. This was a man in the middle of the forest, late at night, two miles away from any sort of other civilization, stalking and chasing us. To this day, the bunny man has not been identified or found. And now that I'm telling this, all the details are coming back, and I am remembering just how scary and traumatizing that night was for my 14-year-old mind.